Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace, and as always, I'm here with Christian. Christian, how you doing? What's the over-under on games you're going to watch the rest of the season? Mine is uh, 20. So, we still have the 20-game pack, and we've got, like, seven games left, so that's at least seven. Um, yeah, 20 is probably a decent number. <laughs> I'm surprised you still have seven games left of a 20-game pack. Yeah, it's a really weird setup. There's, like... We had to shift some games, too, was the issue. Um, we also have free vouchers for games, which I don't even think we're going to use. Like, it, I'm, I'm not going there any, any more than I have to. I can certainly understand anyone not wanting to watch the Mets for the rest of the season, because this is something that I certainly feel. I'm sure that you feel as well. However, selfishly, we kind of need to keep people's interests in the Mets, because interest in the Mets is kind of important for interest in this podcast, so... I think it would be a good idea to talk about uh, reasons to continue watching for for the last couple of months. And the way I kind of wanted to do this is do like a point-counterpoint style, maybe even like a draft style of reasons to watch the Mets. We can we can cap it at three uh, for, for each uh, person because I, I don't know if, if we can come up with that many reasons to watch the, this pitiful team that's batting DJ Stewart in the cleanup hole. Um, but I, uh, I, I do think there, there is some, some saving grace, some, some reasons to continue watching this team, uh, going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot, but there are a few, 
All right, uh, I'll I'll let you go first. Uh, what's the what's the what's the top reason you're going to continue watching through through September at least? Um, so I saw today a tweet that had the um project like the the on pace for Francisco Lindor for the rest of the year, and he's on pace for something like I think thirty plus home runs, a hundred plus RBI. Um, so I think one major reason is at least is that Francisco Lindor is a very good baseball player. So every game I'll at least get to see him come to bat three times. He's top 15 in F war. And I suspect he's somewhere up there in B war. That's what happens when you're arguably the best and most productive defensive shortstop in the game. And also you're accounting for 30 home runs. And I think this has been somewhat of a lost storyline. The idea that Lindor is kind of the, not the one, but he's he's one of only a couple, maybe three, big name shortstops to sign the, the nine-figure contract that has actually worked out. Carlos Correa is having a fine, not great season in Minnesota. Uh, Trey Turner has really, really stunk it up in Philadelphia, uh, despite that team performing at a really high level. Uh, Corey Seager is doing very well, but Francisco continues to be a perennial MVP candidate. And I, I don't think enough Mets fans really appreciate that about him. I mean, these numbers that end his defense as well, if this team was good this year, he'd be in the MVP conversation just like he was last year. And I think that there's, there's, I think there's always going to be Mets fans at this point who are going to act like this. This contract is the most disastrous thing in the world. I was seeing this guy who's like a fantasy football writer posit that this offseason they're going to trade him to the Dodgers, which is not going to happen. Um, I think there's people who don't realize how good he is, even in the season where the top line batting average isn't great. He is still putting together a very impressive season in a lost year for the team. He's not, you know, he's not going to lay down and, and take it with DJ Stewart. I always want to kind of pull my hair out whenever people bring up this idea of Pete Alonso being the, the next captain of the team. Not that it matters because there's only one full-time captain in major league baseball right now. It's Sal Perez with, uh, uh, with Kansas city. But, uh, so in, in essence, it kind of doesn't matter. But whenever these conversations come up, I'm always like, what more does Lindor need to do? Like he, he keeps face during times of trouble. He keeps producing despite the Mets kind of essentially giving up from a front office standpoint. He, he's the captain, right? Like, I, I don't understand why we, we need to consider anyone else for this role. Uh, once he gave the thumbs down and that made people mad. I still can't believe we're talking about that. This is that, that, <laughs> that's that's ancient history. Javi Baez, Jacob Degrom was on the team then. Like this, yeah. <laughs> a lot. Kevin Pillar was on the team then. Anyway, all right. <laughs> I I think that's that's a really good number one draft pick. Uh, my number one reason to continue watching the Mets this season is another Francisco. This time it's Alvarez chasing the rookie home run record, which he is on pace to eclipse. I believe the record is 30 sent by uh, Johnny Bench for, for the Cincinnati Reds. And I, I think it's it's been mentioned quite often on broadcast because it's one of the few bright spots uh, in the lineup that the Mets broadcast can point to. Um, but I don't think it's getting a lot of attention in the national media, A, because We've had such monstrous rookie seasons from Aaron Judge and Pete Alonso recently. But 30 home runs from a rookie catcher, that's 
that's something to celebrate regardless of who it is and when it happens. Yeah, I mean, it's so fun to watch Francisco Alvarez at all times. I think he is he's very much in the style of young players now where he he hits a home run, he's going to showboat it a little bit. But that's what makes him fun. You know, he, he there's a fire to him that even during the, the Mets' worst games this year, you see him out there with putting it like wearing his heart on his sleeve and putting it all out there. He's never going to give up on this team. I mean, I saw clips from yesterday's game. I didn't get to watch the game. I was working um, where Tyler McGill was having just a really rough go of it. And every single pitch, Francisco Alvarez, you'd see him behind the plate. He'd be trying to get Tyler McGill like, you got this. You got this. Just get, just a strike. Come on, let's go. He is so, he seems like such a great teammate to have too. Like just watching the way he behaves out there and the effort that he puts into playing. It's, it's exciting to see that because there's a sense that he's only going to get better and he's already so good. Yeah, um, and we <clears throat> pontificated very strongly about his his defense early on, noting that his defense is what's surprising people, and his offense is going to catch on very soon. And it didn't take long for his offense to catch on, and his defense hasn't really regressed. And I understand that's not something that like can necessarily be figured out by like opposing runners or whatever, um, but he is the total package. And I, I think one story that... Uh, kind of got lost in the shuffle during the trade deadline was Justin Verlander in his first bullpen session um, in spring training through to um, through to Alvarez. And after throwing to Alvarez, basically went up to the front office and asked, why isn't this kid in the bigs already? And that's the sort of thumbs up that like can be given from anyone, but from someone who is a clear first ballot Hall of Famer like Justin Verlander giving it to a 21-year-old in spring training who he doesn't need to pay attention to? Yeah, that that's that's all the rationale that that I need to, to keep him up in the majors for as long as possible. By the way, uh, the record I don't think was set by Johnny Bench if I'm taking a close enough look at his baseball reference page, but uh, if it's not Johnny Bench, I don't know who it is. So I think there's there's a... I think the record you're thinking of, because it keeps getting tweeted out, is the record by a catcher under the age of, of like 21 or under, which Alvarez is going to be 21 through the end of the season. And that's, I believe it was Johnny Bench's second season or third season, 1969, he hit 26 home runs. So that's what he's chasing. Yep. Then the, which is very doable. Doable, absolutely. He's he's, <laughs> he's on pace for that, but I, that means I got the number wrong. I got the, the title <laughs> wrong. I'm just I'm just getting everything wrong at this point. Yeah, it's, it's, that's definitely, that's a great, that's a great, you know, second, well, number one, but second number one pick. It, it's definitely of all of the young kids with the team this year, he's definitely the most exciting to watch. Um, So for my second pick, I'm going to go with another rookie, but not a young, not a baby Met in any way. Um, and that's watching the continued excellence of Kodai Senga pitching. Um, it, it's even with the loss of Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and with this lost season, um, the Mets still have a fantastic pitcher in Kodai Senga. And I think it's exciting to watch him because he's only going to get better the more acclimated he becomes to the league. And he's good already, but he's he is showing signs of, of 
extreme excellence. I mean, like we said, that the July he had was outstanding. Um, he's already an all-star in his first season. And it's exciting to see a pitcher show up in the major leagues and immediately, immediately be this good. It, it, it's very fun to watch. And I don't, I think the ghost fork and everything like that, it's just fun to see a pitcher so sure of himself. Especially since this is the one starter that Mets fans can count on to be on the 2024 Mets. He's got a long-term deal. Uh, the Mets aren't going to want to trade someone who's who's that cost-controlled for, for this long. And Jose Quintana probably will be on the 2024 Mets, but um, he, he's on a, a much shorter deal that uh, can look very valuable, especially with how you know decently well Quintana's been pitching in his first uh, four or five starts. But yeah, um, it, this isn't... You know, 2012 R.A. Dickey, this isn't 2020, sorry, 2013 Matt Harvey or, or 2019 Jacob deGrom, but uh, Senga's the closest thing that the Mets have right now to appointment viewing starting pitcher. The Senga starts are something that are are, are really fun, um, regardless of how much offensive support the rest of his team is going to give him. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the 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 Kodai Senga phenomenon continuing in Queens is definitely a good reason to continue watching. Yeah, it's 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 fun, and I'm hoping that uh, he gets a little more help after yeah. the season's over. <laughs> my my number two draft pick. Um, this was something of a of a uh, of a bold prediction that I made earlier in the season. I I, I made a prediction that Pete Alonso was going to hit. 54, 55 home runs and eclipse that 200 mark. And he would be one of three players in major league history to hit for 200 home runs in his first uh, five seasons, I believe it was. And for a while, he was kind of on that pace. He, he was doing really, really well in the first half of that season. But um, the, the injury that he had to his hand, even though he came back from that very, very quickly, it sort of derailed his momentum. He went into a slump post All-Star break, but he, with, uh, I believe he has 31 home runs on the season, and he's climbing up the Mets franchise home run list. I believe he started this season in seventh, and he's already climbed past both Carlos Beltran and Dave Kingman, and the odds of him reaching Howard Johnson next, he, he would need 16 home runs to do so, I think are pretty slim, uh, especially in the, in the last uh, 48 games that we have. That's basically a home run every three games. Um, but not impossible, especially if he finds a way to keep the pace that he found early in the season to, to end the season. Yeah, I mean, that pace early in the season, we were talking about breaking the Barry Bonds record, which I think was always a long shot especially two weeks into the season but it's a fun thought experiment but yeah it's 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 not super surprising but it is a little surprising to see how low like the records are with the Mets they've just never had a home run hitter be that good for that long on the team um and I mean this offseason hopefully they extend him and I think if he signs a long-term extension with the Mets very clearly that record is his and it will be a much, it will be a very big difference between number one and number two. If he signs a long-term extension with the Mets. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, 
it's just really it's really cool to watch Pete Alonso Pete Alonso mash dinners. I think by the end of April next season, there's a very good chance that he's going to be fourth on the all-time Mets home run list. And the three above him, Mike Piazza, David Wright, Daryl Strawberry, these are really, really big franchise names. And I was I, I was about to uh, to to sing the praises of Alonzo for having a really good chance to break the all-time Mets home run record while still under team control, but that's basically what Daryl Strawberry did. Um, team control was was longer in the 80s than, than it is now. But yeah, Strawberry hit for a team record, 252 home runs in eight seasons with the Mets. I think Alonzo is well on his way to that. And the fact that he still can be penciled in for 40, despite the season that the team around him is having, that's a, that's a very, very valuable player that the Mets are going to want to keep around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he he had that wrist injury that he came back from in the minimum, but very clearly it affected him for weeks. And he's still probably going to hit 40 home runs this year. Like, this is a special power hitter. You don't, this does not come along all the time that a power hitter can make this much contact too. Because last year we saw like the, the pre, like the, the premium version of Pete Alonso, where he's hitting, you know, 270 or whatever he hit last year and also hitting 40 home runs. But it's he's a special player and hopefully come the end of of 2024 he will be here um long term so for my last draft pick we're doing three per person hear me out this is going to be a little uh, little unconventional um but i'm someone who likes to find the dark comedy in life and i think that there over the course of the season, however many games you do watch, there'll be plenty of opportunities to see the Mets find new, um, exciting, and deeply ironic ways to lose. I mean, we already saw last week a walk-off balk, which was really premium comedy that coming literally the day of the trade deadline. Like, everyone's gone and, uh-oh, we will lost on a walk-off balk. I'm also thinking of the James McCann revenge game. Um, there's going to be so many chances for these, especially with them having traded players that they will be then maybe seeing over the course of the season, like a, um, a, an eight inning masterpiece from Max Scherzer when the Rangers come to town or three or four shutout saves by David Robertson over the last two weeks of the season when the Mets play the Marlins literally a million times. There's going to be so many interesting and um, psychotic things that the Mets will do over these last two months that in a way you can only laugh at. That was, the Bach was such a bullshit call. Like, <laughs> you're, you can't just let the Mets blow the game conventionally. Like they, they, they couldn't take advantage of a miracle to run home run from Alvarez and, and then load the bases with one out and bring in a, a rookie reliever to, to try to get them out. Like that, that game was well in hand anyway. It was, it was, they were going to lose. Just give it a few more pitches. You had to make the headlining grab. <laughs> It's it was so it was so funny. I laughed so hard. Like in a way that like of course, of course, the day that they trade half their team away and we're all like, this is it. They're gonna be terrible this year. And they somehow lose in the most terrible way. I can't there are very few things I think that could be a worse like walk off than a balk. Because at least a hit, a home run, a walk take some level of skill this was just 
a call that an umpire can choose to make depending on what they think the interpretation of the rule is. It's It was truly a masterpiece, like a Van Gogh painting. Well, he, here's my final reason. And, and it also <laughs> kind of has to do with losing as well. I'm not someone who roots for Mets losses because of draft picks. And there's a very convoluted scenario that that supposes that the Mets can only earn a top six draft pick if they finish with a worse record than the Nationals. You cannot possibly earn a top six draft pick because you can't draft top six two years in a row. The MLB draft system is, is very complicated and convoluted. However, I think there's a very good chance that the Mets will know what their draft position will be by the final week of the season. And when that happens, they will have a very golden opportunity to play spoiler for either the Marlins or the Phillies. If I were given a choice, I would want them to spoil a season for the Phillies, if only because the this Marlins team has uh, has some modicum of likability, but for me, the, the Phillies are never likable. And I, I would much rather see the Marlins uh, earn a wild card spot and potentially play spoiler for a 100 win Braves team in the playoffs. And I would like to see the Phillies get a chance at back-to-back NL pennants, but th- this is not something we've been able to see very often. And the fact that the Mets play basically just the Marlins and the <laughs> Phillies for their final 12 games of the season gives a lot of spoiler potential for a talented team that definitely can make those two teams currently in playoff position sweat. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. If I had to choose, it would definitely be the Marlins. Because there's an, there's an element of fun with the, the Marlins that, like, yes, there are rivals in the division, but, like, it, them and one army, like, they have four fans. So I think it would just be fun to see, like, that team of, like, misfits make their way to the to the playoffs. And then, you know, if listen, if the Marlins made the World Series, depending on who they're playing against, I might be rooting for the Marlins just because I think that would be a fun story again. Um, the Phillies, I don't need to see that again. I don't need their fans to be encouraged. I don't need any of that. Um, but yeah, it would be it would be fun for them to play spoiler. And I mean, depending on where they finish, it, it's this is all just a uh, crapshoot anyway, because it's going to be a lottery draw anyway. I mean, obviously, the more games you lose, the more balls you have in the lottery. And then, you know, you get a better shot at, at a top six pick. Um, but yeah, not last week. If they can really just screw things up for the Phillies, I would be pleased as punch. And look at that. We just spent 20 minutes talking about things we like about the Mets. That's difficult, especially right now. Yeah, I would say it's very, very impressive for uh, for us to – I thought we were going to go under on this segment, and we we really – we did a good job. We did a good job today. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a quick break and come back with uh, some lighter fare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back. Amongst all of the players that have left the Mets in the past couple of weeks, I think the one that we should probably spend the most time talking about is Mark Canna. Not necessarily because of his on-the-field performance, but for what he means to us as queer Mets fans. Yeah, I mean, all the players that they traded away, you know, and there's, there's obviously, they're all... From what we know, they all seem like fine guys, but Mark Hanna, I think, endeared himself to the fan base and specifically to the queer section of the fan base more than any other player I can think of. He was, there was an element to him where he was, you know, having gone to the Pride Nights, other players would participate in, oh, they're wearing the shirts, they're in the in stadium video stuff. Mark Hanna took like a special interest and and enjoyment out of playing to the night and making making it a special night for everyone there in the I mean Pride Month starts he's tweeting about it he's constantly vocal about it changes his walk-up music he has a great time with that night it's a special night for him and there's really no clear reason other than just seeming to be a really great guy about it and I think that it's while I understand that they, you know, really kind of had to see if they could get anything for him, and the picture they got seems to be pretty decent, and you know he's on the last deal of, year of a contract. It's no guarantee he can't, he would have come back anyway. It's just sad to see someone who has endeared himself to us so quickly and so massively. It's leave. it's a, it's such a bad stain on baseball when we have someone like Mark Hanna making some very basic statements in support of the queer community. And we always have to be like, why exactly is that? Like what, <laughs> what, what is his impetus? Does he have queer family members? Uh, is, is he himself queer in some way? But no, it, it seems to be that he was just born in San Jose in the uh, very wealthy part of the Bay area. He went to uh, Cal Berkeley, played baseball there. And I, I read a piece by Andy Martino last year and doing some research for a, a, a post that I wrote for Amazing Avenue where Martino and Canna talked about the state of allyship essentially in Major League Baseball. And Canna said that when he went from the dugout at Berkeley to his first professional dugout in the minor leagues, he said he experienced one of the biggest culture shocks of his life. And that surprised me in a sense because I, I understand uh, the the political leanings of a place like UC Berkeley, but I also understand the the caveman mentality of a, of a baseball clubhouse. And I, I would think that the overlap would be significant, but for him, supporting queer rights was very natural. It's something that uh, was simply a part of his upbringing. And it didn't really make sense to him why he entered a space that was so hostile to 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 queer people and and i i wish there were more people 
in Major League Baseball. It sort of saw that light. But also, in a sense, I'm, I'm very glad that Mark Hanna, who had every incentive at that point to just blend in with the crowd that he's in to give him as much chance of professional advancement as possible. Once he got to the majors, just kind of wore it on his sleeve, not necessarily because it was something that was personal to him, but because he realized he was the only one around that could advocate for, for, for these type of things. And that's something that I'll always appreciate about him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Taiwan Walker was also just a, you know, it was the same thing when he left. It, there was something sad about it because he was also someone who took it in stride and really tried to um, to show out for the community. I mean, he would go into the, the team store and bought Pride gear for everyone and basically was like, if you want to buy Pride gear, just tell them it's on me. And I think that there is something important about having guys like this on the team, both for the clubhouse to create sort of a sense of um, more like a more accepting environment because as we've talked before while we know of three major league players two major league players and a minor league player who have come out at some point whether during their career after their career statistically there's more so you want your teammates to feel comfortable but at the same time it's also important for community outreach like we said last week when the Mets got Javi Baez and he was on the team with Lindor and Diaz and the Puerto Rican community was just in love with this and, and would show up to the ballpark in, you know, abulent and so excited to see the game. And, and, you know, there's something to be said about appealing to the queer community in the same sense. I mean, I've been to pride nights and it, it does, there's a different atmosphere. And I think part of that is you see that the players are invested in it and there's something to be said about that. And it's more than just the, you know, I know Francisco Lindor is an ally because he's, you know, he's been in the video and worn the shirt and everything his wife says, I can't imagine that he'd be anti or they wouldn't be married. Um, but there's something different when there's a passive allyship and then there's a more active allyship in the sport. And, and Mark Hanna was an active ally and that's, it's important to see. And I don't know when we'll see that again with the Mets because there's so few of them. I mean, there's Mark Hanna, Taiwan Walker, Liam Hendricks, who else? Like an actual active, not just a shirt, but like going out there and saying stuff. I don't want to downplay how difficult it must be to publicly express one's allyship, especially in an environment as hostile as Major League Baseball. But what you mentioned about community outreach especially for people like us the bar is so low like it's it's not even like hey can you go be gay and play baseball like that that if that ever happens awesome but i'm never expecting that the bar for us is just say we exist and deserve rights like that's 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 really it and the fact that it's happened so infrequently is is really disheartening and the fact that we can count um, on more fingers, the times when people have expressed their opposition to that is is really disheartening. And so to have someone like Mark Hanna, as, as, as courageous as he is uh, for, for doing something that earns him no tangible benefit in his profession, simply because he, he wants to do it and feels that it's right. But like in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not that much that we're asking for. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you say we can count on more fingers the time. We can count on more fingers the time this year 
that people have been actively vocally homophobic in the league more than the people just like in the last decade who have been actively allies for the community. It's it's very sad. Now, hopefully, um, you know, changing times or whatever, hopefully some of the younger kids coming through the minors will, will be allies. But at the same time, I've seen uh, every time one of these new prospects comes to the Mets and they like tag him in a post and I go there and I'm like, it, not this guy. Like it's, it's, there's still a very deep current of, of bigotry in the league and you need guys like Mark Canna to not just counter it in the clubhouse but counter it publicly as well because now the Mets don't have Mark Hanna but the Mets still have Brooks Raley which we made a million trades and we couldn't trade this guy yeah I, I, <laughs> I don't exactly know why no one wanted well it maybe it's the contract I don't know like he's 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 been very frustratingly good for for the Mets this season. We'll we'll see how how that continues. Um, yeah, I I don't know how how easy it will be for the tides to change and to continue on in a positive direction with baseball clubhouses continuing to be as polarized as they are. Baseball is a very clicky sport. You enter a clubhouse. In a game that masquerades as a team sport, but is really an individual sport, and you often need to find your people. And and there there's often three segments of any professional clubhouse. You have the the Latino ball players, whether Spanish speaking or not. You have the the Southern ball players, the the ones that came from Texas or Florida or Alabama or even Southern California that have some some very let's say Southern leanings. And then you have the rest. And it's often those people that find kinship in their differences away from like the two big demographics that play baseball um, that end up vocalizing the most support for disadvantaged communities. And and we, we see that more and more from players like Taiwan Walker, players like Mark Hanna, players like Sean Doolittle. Um, and when, when we talk about diversity in major league clubhouses, it's not just uh, diversity amongst race. It's uh, diversity amongst gender. It's uh, diversity amongst backgrounds, where you went to college, uh, what what country you came from. Like um, making sure that clubhouses are as diverse as possible is is what is going to allow for progress to happen. But if if we continue to to stratify our players, if we continue uh, to, to to maintain this clickiness, it's uh, things aren't gonna gonna really change. And uh, I don't I don't imagine that a sport as slow moving as baseball is is going to address these issues head on. I, I think they much prefer things to develop naturally, uh, and uh, that's that's kind of unacceptable at this point, um, considering where Major League Baseball lands amongst the rest of the big four sports when when it comes to queer issues. Yeah, I mean, it also doesn't help that they have a commissioner who has publicly said that he doesn't want to do any sort of um, public, you know, like it's up to the teams to do that stuff. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get involved in that because it's so polarizing, like acknowledging people's existence, so polarizing. Um, but I mean, again, it also, you know, this, it's not just the, the, you know, clicks within the clubhouse too. It's, it's leadership. And I mean, the Mets are lucky. They have someone like Alex Cohen out there who is invested in this as well. But 
teams like, I mean, the Texas Rangers, very clearly the Pride Night thing is an edict from ownership, which there was an article in The Athletic that came out a few weeks ago that 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 was basically the conclusion. They didn't outright, outright say it, but there's a reason why they don't have a Pride Night and it's not the players and it's not the front office, it's ownership. So it's difficult too when you have these owners who are who will refuse to budge on these issues. And the Texas Rangers are the last holdout on this. But, you know, certain teams put more effort into it than others. And you, you can tell the ones that feel like they have to do it versus the ones that want to do it. And the good thing, at least from our perspective, is the Mets seem to be one of those teams. They seem to be one of those teams that while they tiptoe around their you know, uh, they're, they're more right-leaning fan base from Long Island. Um, it's it, it's a position that they want to progress on and that they've done a lot of good in the past few years. Yeah, it's like I said, I mean, Alex Cohen, it really impressed me this year to see her out there supporting this cause. And when you combine the, the top-down leadership on this with Alex Cohen, with players like Mark Hanna, it does create a really good environment for this. But now you've taken half of that out of the equation. So I don't know what next year's is going to look like. Is it going to be, oh, Alex Cohen's super into it, but none of the players are like really, really into it. Um, At that point, it's kind of like the place is wallpapered in rainbows, but what does it matter if I'm watching Brooks Raley on the mound? Queens is a little (laughs) lessened because of uh, Mark Canna's departure, but New York's loss is Milwaukee's gain. I don't think Can has done very well so far. I think he's had like one hit in five games uh, for the Brewers. Um, but uh, we salute you. We hope that Canna continues fighting the good fight in Wisconsin. Uh, I think this is a good time for us to take another short break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, and we are back. Um, So, you know, a little bit wider of a baseball purview here, um, but not too wide. Let's let's keep it in the city um, and ask, what the hell are the Yankees doing? That's a good question <laughs> at all points over the last 13 years. I'm sure there's a lot more Yankee fans that are asking that than anyone else. But this these past couple of weeks have been especially ignoble for the pillar franchise of Major League Baseball. Yeah, I mean, they – so the – this, this week, three major stories came out that all sort of added up to a collective, like, huh, from everyone? Like, what is going on over there? Um, the first one was that Hal Steinbrenner apparently uh, prevented, like, Brian Cashman wanted to make trades at the trade deadline, 
um, and to trade players away, um, which the Yankees are really close to the Mets record. Like they're not good. They're, they're still in last place in the American League East, as I recall. Um, he wanted to sell players. Uh, and Hal Steinbrenner said no, which is, you know, great for your middling baseball team to get absolutely nothing out of anything they have. Um, but I'm sure Josh Donaldson will really do a great job over the rest of the season. Um, and then and over over the last few days, we've heard that um, two very different but kind of similar stories, um, one being that Anthony Rizzo um, has been put on the injured list into concussion protocol with a concussion that they believe came from a collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. That happened on May 28th. So they're two months behind the ball on this issue. And then Domingo Herman had to go on the restricted list to deal with um, alcohol abuse issues that apparently made their way into the clubhouse to the point that they locked him in a sauna to try and sweat out the alcohol, which is dangerous. And then I believe part of the story was also that he was watched by team security while he took a nap. They sound like they have just, they've lost the plot in, in the Bronx on everything going on there. And I have no idea who's running the show there, but the, there's some things either like the selling, the selling the players thing is like, all right, that's kind of stupid. Very clearly they're trying to protect the image there. The Rizzo Herman stuff is like, we're bordering on like endangering your players here. Right. The, the, the Steinbrenner stuff is funny because Brian Cashman, despite all of the hate he gets from Yankees fans is a very good general manager, probably one of the best, if not the best in major league baseball. He's by far the longest tenured with his team. The Yankees consistently overperform because of his ability to sign players. And when he makes the decision that, yeah, the Yankees, even if they do sneak into the playoffs, probably got no chance against teams like the Orioles, the Astros, uh, the, the, the Blue Jays, the Rays of, of all teams. Uh, and Steinbrenner decides don't sell, don't buy, just just hold, just run it back for the last 50 games of the season with what exactly? I don't, I, I that's, that's the funny bit to me. The last two stories that you mentioned, I've read and heard a lot of takes chastising the medical team for the Rizzo stuff. I think a lot of it is deserved. What I will say is that I think a lot of I think a lot of this analysis fails to mention how pressured team doctors are to allow players to continue playing. And if MLB's concussion protocol is as lax as it currently is and Rizzo passed it and gave himself um, a clean bill of health. I can understand doctors at that point, even if they suspect that there might be something wrong with this guy saying, well, that passed all the checks we need to pass. He's good enough to play baseball. And I, I get it from that perspective. And I also wouldn't be surprised if like we hear a week from now that the exact same thing happened to Starling Marte uh, with his collision with Gene Segura against the Marlins earlier in the season. So stuff like that isn't limited to the Yankees, but yeah, throwing a drunk person into a sauna, I, I I can't find anything for that. Like there there is no medical reason to allow that to happen. If that wasn't the medical staff doing that, if that was 
a coach or something that is grounds for termination immediately, uh, that is that is some tremendous harm you are doing to a player. And I'm not saying I have any love for Domingo Herman in, in in any situation, but yeah, that's that's the scariest story to me. Like that that puts something that puts someone in in real real danger of of dehydration at that point. And uh, I think heads kind of need to roll because of that story. Yeah, I mean, the Rizzo thing is definitely like I'm more concerned with how the league handles this because I don't, I don't know that the league, I don't know that I have faith in the league to actually take concussion stuff super seriously. And like, I'm sure that their protocols are lax because again, yeah, they, they, there's a there's a protocol, there's a league wide protocol, and if he passed it, then that says something about the league. And I mean, it sounds like it wasn't just like oh he was a little he was foggy he couldn't remember the amounts of outs while he was playing like this is serious stuff and yet I I think that the bigger issue is that the Yankees were still running him out there when he had no idea what was going on around him now that's an issue but if he's passing the concussion protocol then that's that's on the league at that point that like they did what one test the day after and then they were like well he seems fine like that should be a wake-up call to the league there and and like you said I would not be surprised if this is happening with multiple players like Starling Marte or other players who have hit their head and that well who cares um but yeah the Herman stuff was scary and you know obviously no love lost for Domingo Herman it's no, no domestic abuser. I'm ever gonna be like, oh, you know, like, like you, you made your bed now, sit in it. But anyone dealing with any sort of alcohol or substance abuse deserves to get the help that they need. Um, I think that a league posts this league posts Tyler Skaggs should be taking stuff like this super seriously. They should have been taking it super seriously before, but in the wake of all of that, they should really be taking this seriously. And um, I hope that he gets the help he needs and that um, no more members of the New York Yankees attempt to throw drunk people into a sauna where they could get dehydrated and get seriously ill. Um, that That's baffling to me that they would ever think that that was okay. And beyond the actions that they took to try to cleanse the clubhouse of what they consider to be a a pretty cancerous player in Domingo Herman. The the idea that it even got to this place in the first place is such an organizational failure. Like Domingo Herman showing up drunk and tearing up the clubhouse, that's not an isolated incident. That's not something that doesn't have signs beforehand. And like I don't understand why an organization as as clean and crisp and polished as the Yankees allows this type of behavior to happen. If if Domingo Herman has a problem with alcohol, that is absolutely something that can and needs to be addressed before it spills over into that kind of, of explosion. And these actions by the Yankees seem to be done in retribution instead of in care of a player that they seemingly want to continue playing for their team. Maybe they don't at this point anymore. I don't know what the tipping point is. It's a mess. And it's it's not the like Mets type of, of like, haha, funny mess, like uh, walk off box and, uh, and first time, you know, center fielders 
coming in in, in poor situations is this is the the type of mess that like puts lives on the line. Anthony Rizzo may never be the same for the rest of his life because he continued playing two months through a concussion. Uh, Domingo Hedman may never be the same because the Yankees couldn't intervene before his his alcoholism exploded into a clubhouse tearing tirade. Like th- these are lives on the line at this point. And if, if team doctors, if team officials can't be responsible enough to take care of the most valuable people in their organization, they need to go. Yeah. It's, it's upsetting. It's not, this is not LOL Mets. This is Wolf Yankees. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, Grace, do you have a movie for us this week? Uh, yeah, I do. So I was trying to decide what I was going to pick. And then I realized that in our absence a few weeks ago, um, I saw a lot of good movies then. And um, I should really start recommending them. Uh, one of them is the the, the one I'm going to do this week. I just, I'm choosing for this week because I believe this week it actually goes on Peacock. So it should be available for people to stream now. Um, and that's the new Wes Anderson film, Asteroid City. Um, it's one of those films, I think the trailer is good in that it doesn't give away what the movie is actually about. It's totally different than I expected. It's kind of a um, kind of like a two-pronged story, almost like an Oppenheimer, but happier. Um, and it's, I don't want to give too much of it away because I think so much of the joy of this movie is watching it unfold. But it is, um, it's kind of... Wes Anderson's film about making movies. We see so many of these filmmakers over the last few years make their movies about making movies. And sometimes I really love them, like Babylon last year, which I thought was exceptional. And sometimes um, they're kind of a wet fart, like last year's Empire of Light. But this one is definitely exceptional. It's one of my favorite films I've seen this year. It's in line with Oppenheimer and Barbie. I think you can pick any star in Hollywood and they will have been in either Asteroid City, Oppenheimer or Barbie. This thing's cast is loaded um, to the point that there's a one scene wonder in this from Margot Robbie and you know she's in the movie and then they show a picture of her at one point and you go is that all that she's in? Like did she get cut and then they use the picture and they still have to credit her but she does pop up I you know. Um, Jason Schwartzman is the best I've ever seen him in this movie. And I generally like him as a as an actor, but this was a really incredible layered performance because of the double storyline going on. He's playing two different people essentially. Um and it's just it's a fun it's fun. Um but it's there's a it's Wes Anderson's most um artistic film. I'll say that. It's definitely he's playing with his form a little bit you know we all know the Wes Anderson look and feel of a film to the point that it became an online trend a few months ago um and the thing is is that what those don't capture mostly because it's all about how it looks for the 30 seconds you see it online is that he's using that to play with stuff and to make commentary on the world and he does it to his best effect in this film um it's it's Again, I don't want to actually give away the plot line. Um, it, it, there's aliens, and um, like it, that's really all I want to say because anything else I'm going to say is going to reveal too much about this film. I do think it's it's beautiful. 
it moved me in a way I wasn't expecting. And um, it's very funny as well. Like this is this is a very funny film, much like most of Wes Anderson's films. I don't think I've ever seen a Wes Anderson film and not chuckled at least a little bit. But this one's this one's pretty funny. I think he's on his best run as a filmmaker personally. I think since Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, I think is the weakest one he's put out in that run, and even that one's like pretty good. But Grand Budapest, French Dispatch, uh, and asteroid city would all make his top four for me i think he's just he's killing it right now and it's a short movie i'll say that it's like an hour and 40 minutes so do with that as you will well wes anderson is someone whose style i appreciate very greatly there are maybe two or three wes anderson films that i adore and the rest i kind of like to don't really care for and when I saw the the plot summary for 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 this one, and I see the the style of it, this is something that I absolutely do want to watch. Especially <laughs> when you tell me that it's only a hundred minutes long. Hey, I'm 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 all for something like that. I uh, I am sick, and I also astoundingly subscribe to Peacock, and so these <laughs> these are reasons enough for me to to give it a shot this week. Uh, I'll report back to you next week with my opinions. Yes, after after Oppenheimer, I've redeemed myself. Um, I was so I wanted you to want to see this so bad. I'm I'm not kidding. I love this movie. Like it's I'm gonna have to watch it again this week because it's just I haven't stopped thinking about it. It's one of those kinds of movies. It's weirdly, it again it, it weirdly because the aliens, but also the way that it's his feelings on making film it made me think a little bit not a lot the tone isn't similar but it made me feel think a little bit of jordan peele's nope um because it's it's working with a lot of the same stuff why we create how we create and um it does the color storyline black and white storyline but it's it it's different there's a reason why it does that and it's very it's a it's a surprising film from him i was not expecting to love it as much as I did. And I was not expecting it to be that great. I'm sure it'll get somewhat lost in the shuffle this come, you know, later in the year, just because it came out in the middle of June, but it, it is not to be missed. All right. That is, that is as strong as a, uh, an affirmation that I've heard in at least a week since, <laughs> since you talked about Oppenheimer. Um, but I, I think that's a that's a good place for for us to leave. We'll start on a positive note. We'll end on a positive note. Uh, Grace, is there anything uh, we want to want to say before we we leave for the week? Yeah. So as as not always, this is the second week we're doing this. But what we'll be going forward as always, um, follow us on Twitter at fibpod um, and on Instagram at flushing is burning pod. I did notice that when the episode came out last week, we did get like a nice little influx of followers, nothing huge, but again, we're building our, our audience. So what I, you know, that's, it's fun to see the numbers get a little bit higher, that little dopamine rush that that hits. Um, and then we have an email flushing is burning at gmail.com. And if you've come this far in the episode, I have to imagine that you're not thinking this, but I do want to just say, if you don't, if this podcast doesn't appeal to you, which is okay, not everything has to appeal to everyone. If you don't want to listen to us discuss what we like to discuss on this podcast, that's fine. You don't have to write 
a long-winded email telling us this. You can, in fact, just not listen. That's okay. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I, I am I am all in support of not listening to this show. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, I, I gotta go back to, to watching this cruddy team play against the Orioles. Um, but we'll report back next week. 